Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. We're joined now by the Minister for Public Expenditure, Pascal Dunahoo. Of course, today got the government approval for the recently negotiated public service agreement, the pay deal that's going to run until 2026. Uh, Good evening to you, Minister. But, you know, I remember you been on a few weeks ago and you were telling us why it is you couldn't go beyond 8%, 8 8.5% at uh, for the higher paid civil servants. And here you are, you've done a deal of 10.25%. Why did you give in and why did you give the increase? Well, I either said it to you or some of your colleagues when I was doing those interviews that I was also willing to go back into the Workplace Relations Commission and I was willing to continue a negotiation. And I said at the time... If you're willing to continue with a negotiation, then you have to recognise that the final compromise might indeed be higher uh, than where it was earlier in the process. And I said that then, if not to you, I said it publicly. The reason why I ultimately agreed to 10.25% over two and a half years is if you break that down into its component years, mass so four and a quarter percent this year, 4% the next year and 2% for some of the following year. I do believe it's a fair compromise. It's wage growth that's ahead of the weight of inflation. It will particularly benefit those who are on lower incomes, but at the same time, I believe it's fair to the taxpayer and it's one that we can afford to pay. So that's why I reached the compromise and it's why I uh, agreed to a higher figure than I was willing to do a number of weeks ago. It was a negotiation. This cost of this package is £3.6 in total, but that also adds permanently to the bills for the future for the government. how, How confident are you that you'll continue to generate the tax revenues to cover the cost of this on top of what you're already paying public servants? I'm confident uh, because it is uh, in line with uh, how I was hoping to conclude this negotiation over a number of years. So I said to you earlier on, I believe the cost of this agreement is affordable to the taxpayer to our country over a number of years because in the different expectations regarding what what will happen with tax revenue, um, I believe growth in our economy and the revenue from that will help pay for an agreement like this. But overall, Matt, that's the very reason why I've also argued now for many years we should run budget surpluses so that if anything significant was to happen with tax revenue, we wouldn't find ourselves having to make an abrupt change in how we provide public services or pay for tax pay our public servants. It's the reason why we have a surplus for last year of over €8 billion. Euro. But it's also, when you look back to when you came into politics at the time after the Great Recession and when there had to be major cutbacks in public services and indeed in pay to public servants, at the time it was said that we had lost control of an effective cost base to the state for those jobs. Have you now surrendered all of the concessions which were made in the national interest back in that time that were back to being where we were before when we got ourselves into trouble? No, and that's for two reasons. Firstly, uh, we expect inflation in our economy for this year to be around, uh, 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 around 3%. We expect wage growth in our economy to be between 4 and 5%. So these figures are not going to be a cause of additional inflation within the Irish economy. That's a very big difference to where we were 15 years ago. And the second reason why we have, it's different to where we were 15 years ago is some of the very important structural changes that we secured during the global financial crisis so that we could protect ourselves in the future we've kept. 
and I'd highlight in particular where we are with the funding of public service pensions. Mm. Our public service pensions are still attractive, they're still very different to where they are to many in the private sector. Our public servants now pay a higher contribution to those pensions than they did before the global financial crisis through a permanent pension contribution. And that makes a huge difference to the sustainability of our public pensions over time. So they're the two reasons why it's different, Matt. These figures are not going to drive inflation like they did uh, 15 years ago. And secondly, our public pensions are in a completely different place in terms of how we fund and pay for them. Is this pay increase on the public sector going to set a benchmark for the private sector? Because we have seen the trade unions now saying that they want members in the private sector to look for on average pay increases of around 6%. Is that affordable given that many businesses at present are already complaining about a whole raft of increased charges, which they say in many cases, particularly in the hospitality sector, are undermining their ability to function? So I want a public service wage agreement that does put money back in the pockets of our public servants and recognise the work they've done and do, but I also want it to be affordable and fair. And I I don't believe a public sector wage growth of 4.25% for this year is going to, of itself, overheat our economy and set a pace of wage growth for the private sector that will mean that um, uh, employers all over the country will not be able to reach settlements with their own workers. And what I mean by that basically, Matt, is the wage agreements that are made employer to employer will vary. But overall for this year, we expect in the Irish economy to see wage growth of between 4 and 5% overall. And the agreement that we have with public sector workers is very much in line with that. Uh, So I don't think our agreement will add to the pressures that employers are facing, but I do accept that for employers in different parts of our economy, some of the wage demands that they may face may cause them difficulties, which is why a negotiation will take place in the Workplace Relations Commission or directly between workers, their representatives and employers to try to reach wage agreements that are fair to workers but also protect jobs this year and next. And that's the balance now that will have to be attained within our private sector. I had asked you about the cost to the exchequer of this additional spending, but also spending which has really come into focus again today is the cost of the new National Children's Hospital coming in years behind the original expected completion date and also coming in now at a cost of two and a quarter billion euro. How can that be regarded as acceptable? Good value for money or even good working arrangement to actually have it coming in so many years behind schedule? Matt, there is a huge amount of what has happened over the last few years in relation to the National Children's Hospital that I accept it's not acceptable to taxpayers and not acceptable to those who are waiting on the hospital to be open to look after sick children. So I accept much of the arguments in relation to that. And over the years, I've talked about the changes that we've made in procurement processes and the changes that we've made in how we evaluate huge projects like the National Children's Hospital to learn the lessons from that. And we've done that in decisions such as how we now communicate the costs of the Metro or the National Broadband Plan. But in relation to the National Children's Hospital, I I want to see that uh, hospital complete, open as soon as possible, with kids in the hundreds of new beds that are going to be in it, receiving world-class care. 
and ultimately the government had to make a decision today to make more funding available to get to that point and to support the board of the National Children's Hospital in the work that they're doing now to contain the cost and to dispute further claims in relation to that hospital and that work is happening at the moment. How much extra money did you have to approve today? Uh, so overall it's over 500 million euro. Uh, out of that 500 million euro there's approximately 400 million euro of that for the additional capital cost of building the hospital that we had already included within our health budgets. Uh, so it had already been factored in to our capital spending for the Department of Health. But why also was it delayed so much? I know we had COVID, but while BAM, the main builder, were doing the National Children's Hospital, they were also doing a major new facility for Intel down in County Kildare. And they got that done on time. So how were they able to do that? And that's not an easy structure either because you're talking about clean labs there to have the microchips developed. How come that got done while our hospital fell years behind schedule? But of course, we don't know what could have been the arrangements Intel were making with that company in order to get the building complete. Uh, and that's a matter for Intel. It's not for me to comment on. But Matt, I accept your point. Um, uh, I am as dissatisfied as anybody else regarding how long it has taken to get to this point and accept there are many issues in relation to the costing of that hospital we should have done a better job on. We've learned those lessons. We've learned those lessons for other projects that I'm on your show a lot about that will be equally big and are important to our country's future. What we're now trying to do is be honest and clear regarding what we expect the cost of the hospital will be and the further allocation that we are making and do all we can now to try to get the hospital open to look after the sick children in what will be amazing facilities once they are open. One other thing, and I know you wouldn't have had a chance to hear it, we've just had a debate between Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin in relation to the RTTV licence. What's your position as Minister for Public Expenditure on having the state pick up the tab for what has been paid to date by the licence fee holders, as is being suggested, not just by Sinn Féin, but was suggested by the Future of Media Commission. So the state ultimately is the taxpayer in all of this, um, and I'm aware that lots of taxpayers and lots of your listeners have been paying their television licence. So I don't support a model in which we get rid of the television licence and... uh, make up the shortfall by the taxpayer because that is going to mean we've less money to spend on other things and I don't believe government should be determining how much money is made available in the budget to the media every year what I support is either the retention of the television licence or an equivalent charge to us and what governments will do now in the coming weeks is we'll weigh up these different options and make a decision in relation to us but that's what I've made the case for publicly over the last year the majority of people still pay the television licence. If the television licence is got rid of, we have to get the money from elsewhere. If we don't get the money from elsewhere, we end up not having an RTE or a very poor public service broadcaster in the years to come. But- RTE need to get their house in order. Uh, I do believe steps have been taken to do that. But alongside that, we need a vibrant private sector media with people like you leading the way in that. But we also need a public sector broadcaster too. But before you actually decide on the method of funding RTE, is there not an argument for actually deciding on what the new RTE should be and then deciding afterwards how much money that that would actually take rather than funding a sort of slimmed down version of the existing model? 
Uh, well, in fairness to the new Director General within RTE, I think he's outlined the vision for RTE that looks to do that. He's outlined changes he wants to make with the size of the organisation. He's, he's outlined changes in relation to wage levels within the organisation. And he's also talked about things that he wants RTE to continue to do and not do. So I, I do believe there's at least the bones, if not more than the bones, of a, of a, of a vision regarding what RTE will look like in the years to come. And in the, in the battle that we all have now to establish what the truth is, to deal with issues in relation to disinformation, in our efforts to think about our history, think about our future, like media is central to all of that. And uh, you in the private sector play a vital role in all of that. But I do think countries that lose well-funded public broadcasters do regress it in years ahead. And I don't want to see that happen in Ireland which is why there is a case, I believe, to be made, which I'll make us regarding how we pay for it, but not giving in to things like abolishing the television licence and believing we can easily find the money elsewhere. That's a trite argument that doesn't do justice to the complexity and the importance of the issues that we're considering. Does that put you at odds with your party leader, Taoiseach Leo Varadkar, who has said recently that the license, TV licence is an outdated way of raising the money? Not at all. I mean, the Taoiseach and I have been talking about this matter for a year. Um, what the Taoiseach has said is there is an option that came from the Media Commission saying that uh, we should abolish the television licence and replace it directly with taxpayer funding. But the Taoiseach has also said there's other models in relation to broadcasting charges that are used in other countries. And he's answered many of these questions in the same way that I have. And, you know, what we will do now in the next few weeks, Matt, is reach an agreement on this matter uh, uh, because it's important for RTE and it's also important that we can indicate to the country how we believe public service broadcasting should be paid for. And I'm very confident we'll be able to do that soon enough. Thank you very much, Minister for Public Expenditure, Pascal Donoghue. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.